At BIMTube, our mission is clear to elevate your digital knowledge. We deep dive into exploring the value of digital and data with conversations that not only inspire, but also instigate better information management. Thanks for downloading this episode of the BIMTube podcast. Just a reminder that you can access all the podcasts in video and audio if you visit bim.tube. So our website again is at bim.tube. We hope you enjoy this episode. Hello, everyone. Uh, welcome to this edition of the BIMTube podcast. Today, I'm joined with by Anita Sony and George Floros, from, both from Skanska. So welcome to you both. Thank you. Thank you you very much, Stephen. Hello, everyone. Thank you. And this is the first podcast I've done with two people. So we'll see how the dynamics go. I'm sure it will work uh, well. Um, And of course, I know you both already. But for the benefit of those watching or listening, um, could you please introduce yourselves? And also, if you don't mind, just briefly, your sort of your background about how you got into where you are now, because everyone everyone has a different journey. So, uh, Anita, if I could start with you, if that's okay, just uh, what your current role is and how okay. did you get there? Sure. Thanks, Stephen. It's always good to reflect on how we got to where we are currently. Um, so, hi, everyone. Anita Sony. Um, my background from a degrees perspective is geomatic engineering. Um, and then I focused on land surveying and what we now call reality capture. Um, I then did a PhD at UCL with Network Rail on laser scanning and photogrammetry for monitoring of railway infrastructure. Uh, And then I moved to Skanska, which was where I've been for the last seven years. I've been on different projects. I've been in delivery on rail, uh, now moved recently into pre-con and getting a wider scope of BIM and GIS uh, integration with um, different sectors. So water, highways, energy, etc., um, special interest, I would say as well. I did, you didn't ask, but I'm going to tell you. Um, as built, um, as built information, so the handover, and obviously BIM, GIS, and engineering survey integration. Great, thank you. That that was the the, the briefest uh, summary I've ever had. So that's really good and efficient. Oh. Thank you. <laughs> well, no, we'll we'll come back. We'll come back to the topics though. So that's that's really good. Thank you. And uh, and George yourself. I will try to keep it even more brief, uh, Stephen. Uh, <laughs> hi, everyone. My name is George Floros. Uh, I'm the head of GIS for Skanska UK. Um, my background is in engineering surveying as well. I've done my master's degree on GIS. I'm currently doing my PhD part-time as well at University College London, focusing on the integration of BIM and GIS for asset management. Um, obviously, I've been... Uh, 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 m- my primary interest is is focused on you know data integration and how geospatial can start bringing together all the different disparate data sources that exist in construction um i've been in skanska for about two and a half years now i'm focusing primarily on infrastructure projects uh yeah and i'm always up for um uh, discussion around you know ways to improve uh, information management and leverage geospatial uh, in ac Great, thank you, and uh, so thank you both for that. Just for the benefit of people that haven't seen a podcast before, uh, although it's called BIMTube, BIM in this context, I do mean better information management, just to keep people on their toes. Uh, we know it could mean one of several things. I guess we'll probably explore that, but um, I guess just opening up, um, to, I guess to both of you and see who wants to go first, just about wh- what you think are some of the ch- challenges between sort of 
I don't normally go so technical, but I will, based on that's what we all do, on sort of integration and data handover. So what I mean is data sharing across different domains within an organization or different organizations. What are and have been some of the biggest challenges and how are you overcoming them? I know that's a very broad question, but who would like to go first? I'll open that up to either of you who'd like to have a go at that. I think this is a George question for sure. Oh, is it? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so we have been looking at this with with Anita um, and the, the wider beam and GIS teams in Scams, Stephen. So I'd say if there were two categories to that in terms of challenges, uh, there are obviously um, the 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 technical challenges right around the integration of beam and GIS and how to do something and how to deliver the right format at the right time. But there are also what we call, you know, the procedural challenges in terms of do we have clarity on what is required, what is being produced, what is needed, and what is actually being used at an information level. So we can actually go ahead and say, okay, now I know what the, what it is we need to produce and we know how, the, for example, the asset managers are utilizing this information during the 100 years of maintaining infrastructure projects, we will be in a far better po position to address the technical challenges around the BIM GIS interoperability because technology moves so quickly right? and, and constantly new software, new capability, new, to, new tools arise. So, but in order to maximize the value, we need to have, a, we need to have clarity, good clarity and understanding of what is needed and when it's needed. So that would be my first approach on the topic. Yes, Anita, have we got, have we got anything to, to add to, to that about where, yeah, what have been the challenges historically? Anything to add? I think um, going further downstream, we start talking about the cultural side. I think we can talk about that um, for days, but it's that cultural aspect as well. So it's not necessarily about, um, so say, George and his team and our people in my team will be the doing. It's actually making others aware of what's what's going on and it not being just for the sake of it um, and giving them their purpose and getting them to have a wider understanding of the reasons for it and bringing them on board, which is a phrase that George always uses a lot. I, I, I'd actually like to, to, to add on, on what Anita said because that's, that's really uh, spot on, um, uh, Stephen. And we were listening to, to a podcast you did recently, a few weeks ago with Mark Enzer, I believe, right? And, and it's great to see that as a country we have an ambitious digital vision and how digital, you know, what the role of digital twins can do in, in within the UK and how it can boost project delivery and so on and so forth. So we need to constantly, one of the main challenges we have is how do we incentivize people that are doing, you know, the boots on the ground to be part of this bigger vision? And how does the digital twin vision is going to help them uh, deliver more uh, safely, efficiently, effectively, and so on with, with uh, environmental awareness. And if we take as an example, you know, the recently um, uh, published uh, geospatial um, framework, which is the National Underground Asset Register, right? This is a fantastic example of how we leverage geospatial digital twins, if you'd like, to improve day-to-day -day delivery. And uh, help everyone get on board, you know, on this journey of digital transformation. So I think it's quite fundamental that the behavioral aspect Anita was, was um, explaining is fundamental into, into uh, the adoption of, of digital. Yeah, I, I think that 
classic, or at least from an IT side, the people process technology. And I know that's cliched for us, but again, that's new for some people. Still stands up, doesn't it? In even though you know there are elements which are about process efficiency, and then obviously t- technology is self-evident what we mean by that. But it's it's that people. Even, you know, even how do you describe it and the communication which we're implying? Have you got anything just to add, just while we're on that theme of the people and the change management, have you got anything to add about where you've seen good examples, whether it's through your own projects or or elsewhere, about good communication, specifically the communication? How do we talk to people and how do we make a story that isn't compelling? Have you got any examples? So an example of what we're talking about, basically. Um, yeah, I can either of you. Could, it could be external. Just where where do you think people have made a good, compelling story for the say the value of data, for example, or something like that? You know, uh, yeah. Or, so where where, where, does, where does it make sense to people? Where is the purpose clear? So it's interesting because um, whether or not they, the users it, uh, in our team, for example, in our delivery team, realise this was their own digital and data transformation. That's another thing, but. Um, Recently, uh, can't go into too much detail, but from a pre-construction perspective, um, I've got a nice example of a high waste project where we were working on. And it was the client that actually issued quite a significant amount of BIM and GIS data. And by configuring our lovely environment that George and his team have um, innovated and scaled up, etc., that was a typical that's typically used on delivery we then thought how about if we try and do that with the information okay it's you know level of detail level of information is different let's get it all in there and by having uh, that information within that environment um it was instant so in terms of training for example just by showing them gis and giving them a 15 minute session that was all that was needed for that six month tender for them to engage with it every day. I think we had 90% of the users, uh, 90% of the project were using it. And um, it it provided all the information that they needed. And what was great is that then they were asking for more. So they said, actually, can you put this information in? Can we incorporate this? And um, so obviously there was the technical rollout of the solution. There was the training and upskilling. So that's a communication piece as well in how you get your messaging across. Um, I had a conversation this morning about technical people and how communication is so key. You don't want to put people off. You don't want to put the layperson off. You have to come down to a level that they understand without patronising them. So there was that aspect. I know we don't really talk about it much in our field, but I do feel it's important as the softer skill. Um, But within... Um, a few weeks, I think it was, George, we basically established that they were saving 25% of their time rather than scuffling through our CDE, looking for information, ensuring it was the latest. By three clicks on a web browser, they were accessing the information they needed so that we could focus in on the tender and being competitive rather than uh, which was that drawing, which was the latest. And it also was quite an interesting um, study in that we got issued new information halfway through the tender. So there was a new design. So that was an excellent use case of then within, I think, 24 hours, we were then re-uploading the information and just saying we can guarantee 
based on the BIM processes, but in the GeoBIM environment and GIS environment, this is the latest information. This is what's changed. And it was like they could visualize it quite quickly. And I think from a technical team point of view, that was a great um, use case. But also from the non-expert and the non-GIS and BIM people, they didn't need to know the technical stuff that had gone in the background. But what they knew is that they could trust the data and in the information. And it allowed us to then um, improve our process with, say, improving our program, improving our commercial drive, which is basically what the tender is all about. You're trying to improve cost, improve program and have that transparency. So we felt more confident going into that tender and submitting it. So it's a very long winded example, but I think it just had many different aspects of the improvement. And it was you only needed to know what you needed to know that had improved, if that makes sense. And um, yeah, it's been great. And now for all tenders, this is what they're wanting, I believe. George and his team are basic have uh, the tent the directors have reached out and said we need this for all our tenders going forward. Yeah, it's having that trust, isn't it? The obviously, and I understand it's multifaceted, like the the workflow is automated and 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 the rest of it. But it but it's having that trust, isn't it? Of having of knowing that there will be the latest information because you have already yeah. put that process into place. You know, there are data yeah. conversion tools out there but again it's things are not seamless unless it's hooked together yeah so, and then I can give you an extreme example from six seven years ago where uh, one thing wasn't up to date in the project-wise environment if we're going to go into that detail and so they lost trust the engineers they lose trust straight away and they dismiss it being um, something to go to so it obviously was important to have, you know, we're really sure this is the latest information. You can trust us. Um, so that was quite nice to see because I've been on many projects in delivery where if one thing has gone wrong or some integration hasn't worked, you haven't got the latest drawing. They're very quick to um, dismiss it and give up and then go old school and uh, print it out. <laughs> old school. And, and it's probably not a bad instinct to have in engineering, right? Absolutely. <laughs> You're you talking to... surveys. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So. I, I don't know, maybe this is one for you, George, but maybe it's a combination of things that allowed us to be trusted more. <laughs> That's a really good point, Anita. And one of the main things, uh, uh, Stephen, I believe, is that uh, we have introduced in Skanska what we call demystifying digital through GOB. But what does this really mean? This means that the GIS function the BIM function and the engineering surveying function from a geospatial perspective, we have a line strategy of how we manage and exchange information with each other. Frankly, from, from my experience in the industry so far, yes, we know that BIM professionals can work with GIS professionals, but in Skanska, we, we, we are working, we are fully integrated, we're fully aligned, and we're working very closely together. And the reason we do that is uh, to uh, provide trusted access to project information, as Anita uh, was explaining. And it also links back to what you were discussing about the processes, the, tad, the data and the technologies. Because at the heart of what, what a company does, you know, it's people, essentially. So you need to have the people with the right skills that are able to collaborate and work together to deliver something greater. 
So this is where, and, and we call it, you know, demystifying digital through GeoBeam. And the key in, in everything is simplicity. Simplicity and um, a purpose. The tools need to be fit for purpose. And, and it's also part of a, of a wider journey of multiple stakeholders, right? We, you, you do have the digital teams, if we can call them that, even though it's not necessarily the ideal world, right? You have the data survey teams, you have the operations teams, right? We do have a number of project stakeholders. There's a client, uh, there are, the, are technologies of um, technology part, partners and vendors. Uh, there are uh, information management standardization organizations that do extremely valuable work for what we're delivering. Name drop, you know, Open Geospatial Consortium, Building Smart, BIMGIS standards, they're fundamental to what we're trying to achieve. Um, collaboration with technology vendors such as, for example, ESRI and, and, and partnerships such as ESRI Autodesk give us the right tools uh, to, to deliver our work more efficiently, address some of the technical challenges of the integration you mentioned. But once again, at the core is the collaboration, the integration and, you know, having the right processes between the subject matter experts to utilize these tools and that efficiently. Yeah, but thank you. I mean, it, it definitely all comes back to, to these processes. And, and for, for me anyway, again, I'm talking to the converted here. So there's, there's a lot of things I've normally talked about that I, I, don't ha- I don't have to be said in the conversation with both of you. But um, just picking up on a, a slightly different theme because I'm, I'm thinking here, my original background was in cartography, and then I got into GIS and data management, information management. So I, I'm thinking often the visualization is the, and the example you gave, Anita, was about the impact of people being able to literally visualize, it, you know, the information and, and infer things. Have you got anything, either any examples or just any anything to add about the, the power of particularly business intelligence and dashboard visualization? I know that's a very specific question. The reason I ask is that something that isn't under the surface. It's, it's implemented by technology, but you can see it. People get dashboards, KPIs. Have, have you got anything to add either about examples you've done or the power of how things are so powerful now about being able to produce dashboards? Uh, do, do you have dashboards? How are they used? Can, can you say Let's take a quick break. Do you need help where to start with BIM and the ISO 19650 series of standards? If so, then our partners BIM Enable can help. Not only do they provide training, they can also offer implementation services and a strategic overview for your organization with a roadmap of what to do. They specialize in information management of all kinds, and BIM is just part of this, but also asset information management. So why don't you go to bimenable.com? That's bimenable.com. Absolutely, we do have... um we, we, we are utilizing business intelligence in Skanska without a question. Um, the, what, what I keep asking myself, you know, when I'm, when myself or my team or the people we are working with, we're trying to create visual tools is consider the user experience, right? 
a, a dashboard is, is, it can be fancy as a snapshot in a PowerPoint presentation if you want to demonstrate complexity. But if you want to demonstrate functionality, applicability, you need to think about how the end user is going to interact and make a decision from this dashboard, whatever this might, we, you know, whatever this might dashboard be. Um, the way we, um, we, we are working right now is we are integrating GIS information, 3D information that is coming from, from BIM authoring tools and dashboard repre representations and visualizations all in single place. So, for example, just to give you an example, Stephen, of, of a real-world case study that we're currently deploying on one of our major highways projects in Skanska, is about how we are utilizing all these different visualization tools that we have in place to provide real-time updates regarding construction activities that are happening on site. So, what you can instantly do is you can go into your map, Right. I'm, I'm, I'll now simplify it. I will not use the terms GIS BIM. I'm, I'm talking about the workflow. And you, you can go into your map. You can see your asset in 3D, your bridge, let's say, in 3D with its wing walls, with piles, apartments, and so on and so forth. Um, you can actually then interrogate through dashboard visualizations, pie charts, and so on and so forth, how many piles have been installed, when these piles were installed, have any non-conformance report. Uh, reports being raised in spans, where is the documentation of this particular asset located in your project CD and so on and so forth, right? So by combining graphical and uh, by graphic different versions of graphical visualization, GIS, 3D models, uh, uh, dashboard reporting, we provide a really comprehensive visualization to visualization twin if we want to call it because that's the buzzword these days right uh to the entire project team and make information very easily accessible to everyone great we've got things to add in these yeah yeah and just to follow up on that george so it's then the dashboard was there the teams were able to help produce it but then it was um the empowerment uh my favorite word um of the engineers so they were then utilizing those dashboards and that information that they trusted to chase their teams. So they said, well, I know that those piles have been built. I can see that on site. Why is that not reflected in the dashboards in reality, uh, visually and obviously from the data perspective? So it was a great way for them to very transparently say this needs to be updated. And I think that was really nice to see. It wasn't coming from the BIM or the GIS team about just so you what it looks like they then took ownership of those um construction managers um and site engineers um and it was quite funny i caught up with them about a year ago af after we'd done this and they were saying they would use that as a healthy competition between their teams to make sure that all the um as-built information was being was being um kept up to date so i know we joke and we talk about as as built but it was great to see that, that because they trusted it and because they could engage with it and because it was easy to use, they could chase it. And, you know, hopefully this isn't too controversial to say, but if you were to put it into just a BIM model visualization, it wouldn't have had the same impact. So that's where that GIS and BIM integration was really powerful. Yeah, I, I, I think the, so that's a very good example. I think the ability to then use the same information in many ways, again, I, I know I'm stating the obvious to, to, to us, but that, that is massively powerful. And I think that's under, and simplification, you know, a dashboard is by definition trying to simplify things and there's nothing wrong with that. There is a tendency for, for some to, to enjoy the complexity. <laughs> Whereas I guess what, uh, part of what we're trying to do collectively is simplify 
things, which is sort of counterintuitive to some people. Um, but I, I, I didn't know if, if you had anything to add just about the, um, you mentioned OGC, Open Geospatial Consortium, and again, we're very well versed in these type of standards, but have you got anything to add about how you actually use the standards and how you embedded them? It doesn't have to be them. That's just the example I'm giving. How do you mandate the use of data standards, I guess, is what my question is. What's the mechanism of making sure you get what you need? How, how do you do it? Do you have new standards? How does it work? That's a really good uh, point, Stephen. And uh, just just to fully understand your question, how do we mandate it within our organization, within ScanStore? How do we work with no, external so how, organizations too? Yeah, so both. So it could be external data coming in through contract, contractual or partnership arrangements or within your organization itself. How do you make sure that people are using the standard i i sim i mean i'm generally interested in standards really but i i guess the tangible example is how do you mandate sort of a, a data schema or a data compliance standard. right yeah. yeah compliance how do you monitor it yeah that's that's right that's what i'm getting at compliance and, and auditing yeah and also uh both anita and myself are working in infrastructure sector and and i think we are well, well aware that lots of standards for the infrastructure sector are currently being deployed and rolled out day, day by day, right? So we're not at the peak of our maturity instead of we're on our, we are on our journey getting there. So from a GIS perspective, and, and then I'll hand over to Anita to, to answer it also from a BIM perspective, we have what we call special data infrastructure in Skanska, right? Which I think is a common term within the GIS community, nothing new, not, nothing fancy really. And the way we typically mandate and utilize standards is through project dedicated GIS execution plans. Now, this comes with its own, um, we need to take a number of considerations in place, right? We need to take into consideration what the customer exchange information requirements are and what standards are being mandated to be utilized there, right? We can think about from a GIS perspective about the UK Gemini version 2.3, right? The geospatial metadata standard. Um, then we are looking to utilize you know standards technical standards that are incorporated in uh gis software tools such as wms wfs and, and these type of standards that have been developed by the geospatial consortium we have our scanska standards in terms of alignment with the beam team as i was explaining earlier which are, are aligning with the iso 19650 Right, but we also make an effort to bring this over to the GIS world. And this is particularly interesting because, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's quite, um, I think it's a, it's, it's, a, it's a challenging journey to try and transfer certain protocols and workflows that currently sitting under the ISO 19650 and the BIM world within the GIS world and see how you can implement it within an enterprise database, for example, environment, right? So, so there are challenges there. Um, and this is how we do it internally. Uh, in the meantime, developing automating tools using tools such as ETL processes, right? That's, that's something that's very standard in our industry nowadays. Automation, Python scripts, and so on and so forth. You can validate the accuracy of the received information, but I'll, I'll link back to something we were discussing earlier. We need to be in a position to incentivize and properly um, and be specific on our requirements um, from our supply chain and be on our, on, be on this journey with them, you know, get everyone on board because there's lots of information that we receive from our supply chain and 
this is where we apply our expertise in order to be able to, to bring them together on, on, on this journey. At the same time, the aspiration is we are working very closely with external organizations around uh, standardization. And what we really wish to achieve is share some of the lessons learned, share some of the use cases we have developed in construction and request essentially collaborate, work together because we need more um, standards uh, in construction. So that sort of uh, high level approach. Uh, Anita, coming uh, over to you as well. Um, yeah, very similar from a BIM perspective as well. So if I think historically, um, internally, we would set our own processes um, because I, again, from a personal opinion, it wasn't so well defined in terms of file formats and uh, schemas and definitions by the client or the customer. So it was up to us to take on that jurisdiction and uh, hate to use scramble around internally to figure out what's going to be the best tool to go from authoring to then coordination of the BIM model if we're going technical and then how we share that with other processes. So with the GIS team for 4D sequencing, for 5D cost and carbon. That had to come internally, um, I would say, when I first came into this field. Um, and I really liked the vision that was there with the PAS 1192, absolutely. Um, but there wasn't that level of support at that time. But what I have noticed, and as George alluded to, in the last few years, we've got um, infrastructure is, is uh, on the radar and Building Smart in particular, um, I'm watching very closely um, how they're going with their IFC for um development and it's really interesting to see because i've seen a knock-on effect now so uh changes coming in project management instructions coming in from clients about okay now we need ifc4 as a deliverable so for me it's great that they've recognized that this is now the way forward with information exchange externally um obviously there's a lot to catch up on with how we get to that point what's their schema what do they need um so that's going to be a huge development. And then um, it's nicely aligned with our internal processes because then it makes it more efficient. We need to produce IFCs anyway for the client and they're very they're a fundamental um, schema for us to be using internally as well. So it's not as if um, we've got our BIM team and GIS team sitting there for a day doing all these various file conversions, which was a reality. Um, a few years ago so I think that that, that incentivizes it a bit more that it's needed anyway for the client and for our exchange and that transparency and we need to need to do that internally as well um, and again reiterated by 19650 as um, as George said so from a BIM perspective building smart um, and then how the customer tailors it for what they need um, and you can see I've seen anyway, in particular schemas, for example, HS2 incorporating the asset information, uh, lifecycle information, all the geometry and the graphical and non-graphical information. So they're not just saying blanket IFC, they've, they're tailoring it to what they need. So it's quite, it's quite nice to see from, from the client, but I believe it's also needed to help incentivize downstream through to um, our teams internally. Let's take a quick break. Don't forget, you can catch up on all our podcasts in video and audio by visiting our website at bim.tube. That's B-I-M dot T-U-B-E. 
you, thank you, Nita. You you literally answered the next question, which which was going to be how about the link with asset management? Because as as you both know, that's sort of more my background is the post construction asset management. But you gave the example, so uh, who knows? I'll, I'll try to get high speed too. So Victor Kainth and Dave White, who's the head of asset management, maybe on, an, on another podcast. But yeah. I think that's that's that throughput. Although we're talking about BIM GIS integration, that final throughput or handoff or handover or into the asset management proper is still an ongoing challenge. I, I know it's the same thing that we've been talking about, but have you got anything to, to add on that? Have you seen a, a more um, increased maturity of clients now asking? You, you did give the example of high speed too, but are there any other? Um, you, don't, you don't need to name them, but no, have you seen a better maturity? Uh, I'll be honest, um, maybe George is better to answer because um, of his PhD, but from my perspective, they're asking for it, but there's still not the level of detail of, or our understanding of what exactly they need. And I think I get that it needs to be developed, but it's also there's a huge opportunity as as we go through design to just incorporate that information that's probably um I don't know if we talk about percentages, what percentage of information design can actually be used for the asset information management handover. I think it's significant. So I do believe there's still an opportunity. We've definitely um, improved um, our design and BIM coordination processes to factor in asset information management, which was a huge step change. And I can say that the BIM team on that project were fantastic with that foresight. And it was actually George, uh, I'm Try not to figure out too much, but it was you who led it, um, having that um, insight and that vision. Um, so, yeah, I'd say there's more awareness and you can see the connection between the handover, the asset information management team and the BIM and the digital engineering team. But what I haven't quite seen yet personally is that um, level of detail of what, what that actually means and what you need for us to then start our processes internally. Um, yeah. I don't know, George, uh, maybe you can answer yeah, have that. You got, have you got anything to add, George, particularly maybe how they're turning the more traditional asset management templates, you know, traditionally there'd have been spreadsheets into you seeing that becoming a deliverable or, or sorry, uh, that becoming a deliverable in a model, for example? Definitely, definitely, uh, Stephen. In any sort of graphical data, whether it is in a GIS uh, model, if we want to use the word, or, or a 3D model, um, we see our clients evolving you know, and, and uh, providing templates and standardized uh, information of what they need. Uh, there is the question that, that uh, Anita uh, was discussing earlier on, spot on, which is, is this exactly what you need? How are, how are you using this information? Is there something else that most likely we are creating, we are producing during the construction process that would be useful for you to reduce your operational costs? but it's not being handed over or has the opportunity to be digitized. If we think about the health and safety file, right, to bring up an example, Stephen, if the health, health and safety file is in a, is a part of the PDF, a bunch of PDF documents all stored somewhere on a SharePoint after the handover, how are the operational teams ever going to um, unlock the power of getting, just to give you an idea, the health and safety um, CDM risks into uh, the real-world asset? during their operation maintenance uh, process, right? This is where you see convergence of GIS and BIM world actually turns, makes this a reality, makes, you know, utilization of digital for, for asset management 
But once again, it depends on data quality and, and, and standards. But we are on this journey. It's a pretty exciting journey, has its challenges. But uh, I, I, I'm a keen believer that it will become a reality uh, in the next few years. Yeah, and I think you're right. And I, I think you both said that as well. It's uh, We're on a journey. I think that's we're in the middle of it and you're more involved than, than, than I am sort of hands on and strategically leading it. But I think accepting that, you know, I often talk to people who think something is a done deal or that things should be happening already. And I think that just accepting that it is a journey, different sectors are in a different place, different domains are in a different place, different exactly. organisations are in a different place. And to some degree, that will probably always be the case, won't it? Like, you know, different clients, what I mean, they're always going to have a slightly different um, requirement and a different level of maturity. Um, anyway, I'll stop talking because it's not about me. But I, 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 yeah, it's very good to talk to you both because you're actually implementing it. Just if I could ask, and um, I should have mentioned it already, but just to throw it in there because you were talking about IFC and obviously our link to Building Smart International, for example, in the UK and Ireland chapter, but Kobe. I'll, ju I'll just say it. What, do clients, what do, what do you think about Kobe? Do clients uh, ask for it? Yeah, uh, just, just, just a short answer. Yeah. Just, no. yeah. <laughs> but the yeah. caveat with that is um, infrastructure led projects are not looking for Kobe in terms of their um, information exchange. Um, but in the building sector, I do know that that department still do produce Kobe uh, information. But I've not seen to date from an exchange information requirement yeah. uh, any COVID requirements. Sorry yeah. to say. Yeah, and 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 again, just for the benefit of people watching or listening, that is a or should be a preferred one of the preferred methods of handover for the central UK government if they're the client. But anyway, UK BIM framework. I'll link to that in the bottom. But um, I, I just maybe uh, just changing gear slightly. Are there any examples of? emergent technology that you have seen or that you're using so for example robotic survey or whatever it is that you think people might be interested to, to know about and maybe we can link to it so for so for example the in innovative use of drones again innovative is is subjective because it might be things we've seen before but are there any examples of the deployment of technology you think people might be interested to see that you can give an example of uh, yeah oh. Uh, I think you need to have a special session with Mark Lawton on this one. Um, okay. Yeah, but um, yeah, just just just, just no, a few. No. Say, oh yeah, we're using self-driving vehicles here. Or <laughs> I, I know that I know that slightly changes the topic, but I'm just I'm just no, thinking no, it, an external no. example is great. No, um, so definitely using drones uh, on the projects that um, I work on, and what's been really nice to see is integrating that into the GeoBIM environment. So George can talk more about that, but. Um, Drone uh, capture becoming business as usual, but for various different um, requirements from an as-built survey point of view, from a construction progress point of view. Um, and also the fact that we're investing in our own pilots in-house as well and having more regular flyovers. I believe um, it is very valuable for long infrastructure projects. That goes without saying, it's, it's quite obvious, but I think when I started getting involved with the integration of the survey, so the, the meshes, like getting technical with the BIM models, it was just great to see from a commercial perspective. I was showing it to the QSs and they said, well, that's great. Then we know that we can play our, um, our subbies because they've done what they said they were going to do. But also from that construction progress and looking at 
um, potential AI solutions we're then seeing how much of the program has been completed. So that's stuff that we're definitely getting more involved in. I know that George has done a huge use case, um, test case, sorry, on highways project as well. Thank, Thank you. you. Uh, can you can you talk about that, George, or is that yeah, yeah, certainly, yeah. certainly, uh, Stephen. So, firstly, I would like to to reiterate Anita's first comment: three D machine control, obviously drone, telemetry, autonomous vehicle. That one of the best people in the country to talk about is Mark Lawton. Uh, we're working very closely together. Against you know is is the triangle of engineering, surveying, GIS, the geospatial, if you want, and the building information modeling world because. 3D machine control needs input from these data sources. Uh, GIS needs input from the other two data sources. We cannot be disconnected. We need we need to work together. So definitely something we're looking at. Um, Anita mentioned the the utilizing artificial intelligence within a geospatial context, and something that we are doing now is uh, utilizing the drone imagery that we are capturing, linking back, you know, to why we're doing everything we are doing, right? By by utilizing the drone imagery. That we're ca capturing we're able to develop ai algorithms that allow us to detect change on a more, more, much more frequent basis you know like of what work has happened on site in this particular day this helps us keep our keep our productivity on track right and this is a great example of geospatial data coming together using um emerging technologies or emerged technologies such as ai better uh to to improve our operational efficiency Great, thank you. And I know we've mentioned um, digital twin by name. Again, perhaps the, the typical audience I have in mind might not even know what they are or nor work with them. But I, I think certainly what we've been talking about is the, this feedback loop. You know, the, the process not being a closed process like in the in the old days with survey, maybe a bit of GIS or something, and then you know maybe modeling and then that's the end of it so have you got anything to say about not necessarily explaining what digital twins are but just do you has, have you seen a benefit in using that terminology do you use that terminology and do you think it's something new or just a new badge for some things that we're doing already that that's george yeah <laughs> i'll that to you first i mean i, I mean every opinion is right but what, what what do you think first of all do you use that language with clients i'm just interested on the terminology yeah. we, we 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 do we do avoid it when we can or um try to explain what it means because it's not clear what it means and i almost sound like a broken record everyone has a different uh, uh, perception of digital twins which makes it challenging to use it consistently and people getting the same level of understanding when you describe things. I do not believe it's a new term, not at all. Um, and, and most likely in the next few years, it's going to change. We're already hearing about digital rehearsals or, you know, whatever the next digital triplet or what whatever is going to be. But at the baseline, the philosophy of a digital twin, if we're to demystify that again, right, is... Uh, the connection of, of the digital element with a physical asset. And there will be a point in time where the asset managers, at, at my observation, or what, what, what I really believe will be, far more interested in the digital asset and the digital representation of the world rather than the physical, because they will be using, be able to utilize all the emerging technologies and underlying data to manage the physical asset in a, in a far more efficient way. Um, so, 
I would say this, uh, what one of the things I really like about digital twins, if we can use this word, is the life cycle, uh, digital twins aspect that I think is, is, is extremely important. And, and Anita was highlighting earlier um, that um, it is uh, the digital thread, if you want to use, or the connection across the entire project life cycle. The digital twins, it's more than one, should not live in isolation. There are different twins in for different disciplines, for different projects at the same life cycle that need to be able to interact with each other as you progress through uh, project delivery. And setting the right data, the right processes, the right technology tools, um, Stephen, is, is, is key for that. Great, thank you. Thanks. Have you got anything to add, Anita? Just do, do you talk about it with client digital twins and um, or not? Yeah, again, we try try not to just to avoid the confusion. Um, uh, yeah, again, so I think CDBV have done an amazing piece of work with setting up that vision. But similar to BIM and the terminology behind that, I think there's just been a bit of a misconception about. So um, I think. Um, I'm seeing less as well from a client perspective about that terminology, I must admit. So it's more about um, digital engineering um, and then breaking it down actually to um, the the asset, asset aspect and the construction aspect. Um, I think the whole thing, yes, is a digital twin. But when you're trying to start to sell it to uh, your leadership, to your colleagues uh, in different functions, I think it can be quite dangerous. Um, so, but I, I think from our tech, like from a GIS, BIM, ES professional, yes, we understand and we know what the goal is, but I think we have to almost do a translate to the wider team in construction um, specifically. I can't speak for other, other industries about simplifying what that means and to then allow them to get on board and be a contributor towards that because at the end of the day we need the information from them to feed into this digital twin great Th thank you um so I'll, I'll i will ask directly although we've already mentioned geobim uh so geobim which we'll probably will elaborate on because of, obviously you're you're involved in the arcgis geobim solution but as a concept do you use do you use geobim as a term Again, it might seem I'm fascinated with the words, but it, like we're just saying, it can make a difference. Do you, do you use the word geobim? You see me smiling, uh, Stephen, even when you just mentioned the word. Um, so, no, thank you. Thank you for the question. The answer is yes. And I really like what the, 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 way, the, the way you phrase the question, because we have the technical solution. But uh, geobim is, is bigger than a technical solution. It's, it, it is the concept, it is the convergence of the geospatial with the building information uh, modeling world. I don't want to sound again like a broken record that is heavily reliant on the integration of processes and data. Technology and great tools such as RGIS, GeoBib, you know, help us bring this to life. Uh, but we need to have uh, the background, the back end, if you'd like, sorted out first. So, yes, GeoBib is a term um, we are utilizing. Is it, it, constantly evolving this um, the, the concept into you know technical solutions and uh, apply applying it on on during project delivery pre construction as Anita was mentioning and one of the things we're really looking forward to is the uh, asset handover as well 
right? The, the, the handover of, of, of asset information. Kim Believer, that Geobim has a huge role to play in that. And I remember when I was listening to uh, your other podcast, podcast with Mark Goldman um, from, from Ezring that you were discussing this. Um, and the big shout out uh, as well to Mark uh, for, for his great remarks uh, to, to Anita and myself we had the pleasure of working together for about four years now and he's a fantastic uh, industry expert and a very good friend. Uh, so it was very nice to hear your thoughts on the integration of these two worlds for digital asset handover. And yes, this is a term we are using and, and we see that, well, we can believe us that this is a term that will only grow in the industry going forward. Great. Thank you. Have you got anything to, to add on that? I mean, I know you gave your response, Anita, on digital twin, but GeoBIM, I guess yeah. you do say it because George has said yeah. that. Yeah. Um, just briefly, um, without sounding too cheesy, I think GeoBIM has helped um, with the change management or the cultural change for BIM, and it's leveraged what the meaning of BIM means to uh, people in construction. I think... Um, it was quite a challenge in the past to explain what BIM was, um, but I truly believe, maybe I'm brainwashed, but um, I don't think I am, in that uh, GeoBIM did leverage the, the meaning of BIM as well. And if, if, if I can add on very quickly, uh, Stephen, on, on what just Anita said, GeoBIM is a multidisciplinary effort. Right. The, 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 there are lots of people that work tirelessly to bring something like this uh, into life. And, you know, a huge shout out to the Skanska GIS team that I have the pleasure of working um, uh, with, of course, um, and um, uh, the wider, you know, engineering, surveying, beam teams, technical team within our Skanska um, environment. It is, as I mentioned, the integration and the convergence, convergence is heavily reliant on the collaboration of lots of different stakeholders, right? So on this journey, you know, we, we, we are not alone. It's, just, it's not just GIS and BIM, but if you think about what geospatial and building information modeling describe, it's almost 90%, if not more, of the built environment. But it does not necessarily uh, mean it's only for the geospatial or the BIM experts. It's for everyone that is, is involved in the built environment. So that yeah, was just I, I, my two Sorry, George, I, I completely agree with you. I think it's it's vi visualizing that horizontal rather than the verticals. And I know you do this because you're involved, but again, for the benefit of people listening or watching, it's not a there is there are disciplines, but by definition there have to be a cross-disciplinary. So, so I, obviously, I'm just paraphrasing what you just said, but I think, yeah, there probably wasn't that word. I think SDI, as you mentioned, partly picked things up, but probably not some of the more emergent. In the governance terminologies, for example, linked to ISO 19650 series. So, yeah, I think I think it's useful. And uh, anyway, it's not about my opinion, but I realise I've probably not got too much time left with you. So, um, uh, I know we started a bit late, but I I would be interested to know what you think, uh, where you think people could go to get more information. So, it could be thought leadership. It could be examples. Obviously, I come to the BIMTube uh, podcast as a starting point. Um, I thought I'd do a plug there. No, genuinely, that was a really nice, you've got some really nice speakers um, around uh, BIM and GIS and the visions. Um, I think also, I'm personally 
following Building Smart a lot recently because of my role now um, and where where I am with what we need. And I keep saying to George, I still feel like I'm I'm not there with IFCs and Building Smart, and I still don't quite. So that's always, but that's the personal personal interest. Um, go to as many webinars as you can. Um, Again, a shout out to CICS. They do some really nice webinars. So they appreciate that you can't be physically there. So they do some nice knowledge um, knowledge sharing. That's quite high level. That's less less technical. Um, get on into their free um, emailing list. Um, conferences, I would say um, DCW and Geobiz has always been a good place to start. Um, and have your journey and then I think we've got a lot of speakers this year as well from our company and it's quite interesting to see it's from various different parts of the business so they're getting more more involved we've got the asset information management side we've got the environmental um, side I think and also George and uh, Scott head of BIM and head of GIS are doing a, a joint talk and it's not about technical it's not I don't believe there's going to be any technical um, coverage in that um, yeah, it's quite hard to think on the spot, but um... if you think of something, so thank you. I mean, that's more than enough. Thank you. I'll link <laughs> to them. If you think of anything afterwards, it, again, it's just a way find people to, you know, to to just to have a, an overview. Certainly, the event Digital Construction Week that you mentioned in Geo Business. Certainly, as you've just reflected, that some of the speakers there is a good way in to see what companies. Yeah, the other one, um, I must admit, when I first joined the industry, B One M. Um, and the the videos that they produce, um, fantastic, great coverage, and just simplify. Again, the theme here I feel is simplify it. They really simplified the message, um, and they keep it up to date and maintain it. I think that's what's really useful. I'm a very visual person as well, so I I take that in better than reading through the uh, the standards. So it's always good to have someone talk it through. So yeah. Great. Thank you. Thanks, Anita. And uh, George, where would you recommend people go to get more information about these topics? Um, I think in the end, it's what Anita said about, you know, so not only doing delivering this content, but it's also how you're delivering this content. And again, shout out for, 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 for the initiative around podcasts, Stephen, because it is an extremely friendly way to help the apps to raise the awareness. Right. And and it definitely needs to happen by professionals and people that have experience in the industry. It's not just theory, and they are able to apply, you know, like theory into into real world examples because it makes the message more relatable. So podcasts, blogs, uh, from from recognized people, you know, within the AC space, GIS, BIM digital space. I think that's an extremely useful, you know, three five minute read gives you an indication, helps you, you know triggers your imagination. If you're interested about something, you, you, you can um, uh, focus on it. Conferences, chartership organizations, CICS, RICS, this was also said I would also like to throw into the mix here the collaboration that ideally we would like to see or we want to see more collaboration between the, in the industry and academia. And I'm not wearing my PhD hat on right now. I'm talking about applicable research, uh, in, in construction and transferring, you know, the great work that is happening in the academic world back into the industry. And the, at the same time, industry selling lessons learned on what the real challenges are back to the academic world. So we need to have this, this closer collaboration, which happens through university events, can happen through university networking opportunities, you know, or simply um, uh, 
making doing joint presentations and collaboration uh, workshops with with experts from from both worlds. Great, thank thank you both. Um, and I, I've literally just got a couple of minutes left with you, but um, just just br briefly, if you could just say, um, I need to if I start with you, what you think the single and this would be hard to just do one, but the single biggest challenge that we need to um, overcome as soon as possible to improve. I think I have an idea what you might say, but anyway, what's one of, what's what the single area that we need to focus on uh, if we had a finite budget to improve GeoBIM, if we're going to call it that? How where do you think we should focus? Oh no, um... or George, if you want to have a think, Anita, either of you. If we had unlimited money, so the question yeah, is, yeah, a project. Money, if it was a discrete project, if if I said here's a finite budget, we can only focus on one facet. Well, let's well it'd be a challenge how we describe that. But anyway, one aspect of improving the geo BIM flow. What 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 would you tackle first? So I won't say anymore because that'd be putting words in your mouth. But yeah, I would. Uh, yeah, I'm. I'm I would like to educate the guests, and Anita, feel free. To, to uh, correct me, but I think uh, with digital and, there, and therefore GeoBeam, um, the first step is um, making people to trust whatever tool is going to um, give in front of them. And you do that by empowering them. How do you empower them? You, you empower them with continuous training and upskilling. Digital is not just mine or Anita's responsibility or our team, right? It's a responsibility for everyone. So if I were to invest somewhere this money, uh, it would be to raise the awareness of what can be done, what could be done, and what should we be doing. Great. Thanks, George. Uh, Nisa, do you agree? You can just simply agree or um, add to that. Yeah, yeah I, I do agree. I think um, it's a really tough question because... The whole point of GeoBIM is about the complete life cycle. And that's what needs to be focused on, getting all of those stakeholders across that life cycle to, um, to really feed in all the information that's required, which will then allow our users, our lovely users, to trust, um, to trust the information that's in there. Um, for them to trust, there needs to be information that's fit for purpose. And for it to be fit for purpose, it needs to come from the um the people who are owning or requiring the use across the life cycle so i don't think it really answers your question but i think it's um if we would simplify it it's the function owners and stakeholders to really invest in inputting upskilling training and um maintaining um o owning it eventually so making it yeah, part of their um, work right or yeah. the day-to-day -day decision making business as usual let's say regardless of organization or stage yeah. of the project life cycle without it being extra effort this is part of yeah. their day job thank you i mean i i didn't know what the answer would be either so that that's and i think i think you're right anita it is almost an impossible question to ask that's why i asked it because it is multi <laughs> but i think i think i would again it wasn't a trick question in that way. I think I'd absolutely agree with your sentiments, which is about stakeholder engagement, comms, upskilling. We've sort of gone full circle, and that wasn't necessarily intentional around the pe the people aspect. I think you know, as long as people take that sort of message away, and I didn't contrive the question to, to make it so, but it just happens that that that's where a lot of people don't 
focus on stakeholder engagement, comms, upskilling, awareness. Initially, you know, they focus on the nuts and bolts or the technology side. And as as you said, Anita, it's impossible to answer because it's multifaceted. But surely that's where people should start. But um, so I agree with you. So I've got nothing around other than to agree with you. I've had my time with you. I could definitely talk all day as you probably know already. But um, what I will do is obviously put the links, as I've said, in the description. If Again, if you think of anything else, then obviously let me know and I'll, I'll add it. But I've certainly made a note of, um, for example, CICES, which uh, which you may know. I also had the president of CICES, uh, Andy Evans, on another podcast. There's a nice shout out there. I'm starting to get cross-references now on the podcast. This is getting good. So it looks like we need Mark Lawton on uh, one soon. He has been approached, but he's a busy man, so we'll try to get him soon. But I'll... Um, I will thank you both. I could keep going, but thank you so much for your time and your insights. And I appreciate you both making the time uh, collectively to talk to me. So thanks, Anita Sony and George Flores, um, for your time and your insights. Much appreciated. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you, Stephen, for the effort that you put in. I know this is out of your own time. So this is really valuable uh, information that you're putting out there. So thank you for inviting us, but also thank you for doing what you do. It's really valued. Likewise, great. it was a great pleasure, Stephen. Thank you very much for the invite and and the, the work you're doing is simply invaluable for, for the industry and, and pushing forward what, what we all wish to achieve. So, yeah, thank you for the invite and it was a great pleasure being with you. Great. Thank you very much. Thank you. Just a reminder that you can access all the podcasts in video and audio if you visit bim.tube. So our website, again, is at bim.tube.